Hi, this is Jose Figueroa with an Approved Workman, where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad that you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Come, Lord Jesus, a study of the book of Revelation. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here is how you can learn more about our work. First, go to our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can also listen to previous episodes of the current series on Revelation or any episode from any of the previous series we have done. On the website, you can also subscribe to the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now also on Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Workman. On Pinterest, we have a page, pinterest.com slash Workman, And you can also find our Facebook page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Workman. 215. Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channels on YouTube and Rumble to ensure you will miss any upcoming episodes. Today, we're in lesson number 43 in the series, Come, Lord Jesus, from the book of Revelation. This lesson is titled, The Thousand Years, Part 3. And with it, we conclude our three-part series on Revelation 20. For today, our focus passage is Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Please find your way in the Bible to that passage. In this chapter, the Apostle John witnesses the thousand-year reign of Christ, a final global battle, and the great white throne judgment. We have been studying Revelation 20, the thousand years, in our previous two episodes. It is in this section of scripture where we find one of the most hotly debated passages in all of biblical prophecy, the thousand year reign of Christ or the millennium. In part one of our study on Revelation 20, we focus on verses one through six and we look at that glorious thousand year reign. We discuss the diverse views on the millennium and how we cannot be dogmatic about the different possibilities. We also encounter key concepts such as the first resurrection, the second death, and the lake of fire. And we spend uh, quite some time looking at the nature of Christ's glorious kingdom. The key idea in this section is that believers will rise to life eternal with Christ and they will reign with him in his kingdom forever and ever. So let's take a look at a principle and application from that those first six verses in Revelation 20. The principle, very simple. The king's faithful servants will reign with him. The king's faithful servants will reign with him. As a way of application, we ask this question. As a believer today, how are you maintaining your allegiance to Christ until that day when you will reign with him in his glorious kingdom? Then last time, we look at part two of our study. 
the global final battle as we focus on verses 7 through 10. The reference to Gog and Magog in Revelation 20 will take us back to the prophecy of the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Also, we learn that many scholars believe this battle in Revelation 20 verses 7 through 10 is the same as the battle of Armageddon. Satan has been free from his prison in the abyss and he will lead the nations on one final assault on God's kingdom. The location of this final battle is the beloved city, Jerusalem, and the outcome is certain. God consumes the armies of Satan with heavenly fire and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire to join the Antichrist and the false prophet. The key idea here, God wins and evil will be vanquished forever. What was our principle from this section? The king's faithful servants work to reconcile the world to God. The king's faithful servants work to reconcile the world to God. As a believer today, how are you helping those who are being deceived by that serpent of old, Satan? The world is being deceived. The world will always be deceived by Satan. What are we doing to break that deception, to oppose Satan? to prevent many people from being deceived by him. In today's lesson, we're going to conclude our study of Revelation 20 by looking at verses 11 through 15. Where are we? Satan and his armies have been defeated. He is now in the lake of fire, never to live again to deceive the nations or to oppose God. What we have left before the eternal state arrives has been the subject of many books, movies, and sermons. We're talking about Judgment Day. Everyone has an appointment with a great judge, and there will be no more delays for evil to be judged once and for all. That longing for justice from all time will be fulfilled. Listen to the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. So there is a time for the final judgment, God's judgment, and it is coming. Listen also to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 9, beginning in verse 7. But the Lord sits as king forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples fairly. Psalms 9 verses 7 and 8. Judgment day is coming. It's God's judgment, so it will be perfect. With that, Here's our final look at the lesson outline and goal for our teaching from Revelation 20. We have looked already at the glorious thousand-year reign, verses 1 through 6. Then last time we looked at that global final battle, verses 7 through 10. And today we're focused on our third and final division from Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, verses 11 through 15. My goal for the teaching from Revelation 20 is this, to encourage believers to remember that Christ will establish his kingdom and his people will reign with him forever and ever.
Again, the goal for the teaching from Revelation 20 is this, to encourage believers to remember that Christ will establish his kingdom and his people will reign with him forever and ever. Let's get started. Let's go then to our third and final division from Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. By now Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and their armies have been defeated, as we get to verse 11. So what's left to do before we get into that eternal state? The last judgment. And what do we mean by the last judgment? We get this definition uh, of this event from the Dictionary of Bible Themes. Quote, God's judgment of all people at the end of the age. This has been entrusted to Jesus Christ, who, at his return, will reward the righteous and punish the unrighteous. Judgment will be on the basis of deeds, their response to God's revelation and faith in Jesus Christ. Believers need not fear the last judgment, but we should live godly lives in anticipation of it. End quote. And again, this is an entry in the Dictionary of Bible Themes, titled The Accessible and Comprehensive Tool for Topical Studies, and this is by Martin H. Manser. So that last judgment is God's judgment at the end of the age, entrusted to Jesus Christ, and he will reward the righteous and punish the unrighteous. Before we continue, I want to clarify a couple of things. First of all, believers will not experience this last judgment described here in Revelation 20. The judgment for our sins was received by Christ on the cross. He stood in our place, as we're told by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. Furthermore, we stand in His righteousness, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. We will, however, experience a judgment for the work we have done for Christ, for the kingdom, as believers. This is what is known as the judgment seat of Christ, and all Christians will face the bima, which is the Greek name for that judgment seat. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we, 
must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body, in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. So again, as believers, we will face that judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded, to be evaluated for the work we have done as part of the kingdom. But it has nothing to do with our salvation, but with those kingdom rewards. What we see here in Revelation 20 has to do with the judgment of sinners. It's the final judgment for those who have refused the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his book, Because the Time is Near, Dr. John MacArthur comments on this dreadful scene starting in verse 11 of Revelation 20. He says, quote, This passage describes the final sentencing of the lost, and it is the most serious, sovereign, and tragic passage in the entire Bible. Commonly known as the Great White Throne Judgment, it is the last courtroom scene that will ever take place. The accused, all the unsaved who have ever lived, will be resurrected to experience a trial like no other. There will be no debate over their guilt or innocence. There will be a prosecutor but no defender, an accuser but no advocate. There will be an indictment but no defense mounted by the accused. The convicting evidence will be presented with no rebuttal or cross-examination. As we begin to look at this passage, we're told that John saw a great white throne and him, meaning Christ, who sat upon it. Remember, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, John chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. And before the presence of the Son, earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. This speaks to me about the renewal of the present heaven and earth. Look at Psalms 102 beginning in verse 25. In time of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them and they will pass away. Psalms 102 verses 25 and 26. And listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Raise your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in the same way. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not fail. Isaiah 51, 6. Heaven and earth, this heaven and earth will pass away. A couple of more verses on the renewal of heaven and earth. What about the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's Jesus speaking. About Second Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its work will be discovered. Second Peter 3 verse 10. That last phrase there, the works the earth and its works will be discovered. talks about renewal, like unveiling what is really behind what we see today. So it speaks about that renewal, God making all things new. That's where we're headed, and as we 
close here in Revelation 20, we're kind of getting a glimpse, a little preview of what that will be like, the passing away of what we know today as the heavens and the earth. We continue in Revelation 20, moving on to verse 12. John then saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books or scrolls were open. This is that other group of people that we saw earlier uh, in Revelation 20, namely in verse 5, the rest of the dead. And that phrase, great and small, is meant to say that no one will be able to miss their appointment before the white throne. It includes everyone, regardless of your station in life. You think you might be able to skip on a court summons here on earth. You might have enough influence, enough money, enough resources. And the government might let you slide on it. Because on earth, there might be unequal justice applied here. However, this heavenly summons will be responded to by everyone without fail. Listen to Acts 17 verse 31 because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead Acts 17 verse 31 that's the apostle Paul speaking about Christ coming as a judge because he was appointed by the father and in accepting his payment for the penalty of sin he also gave him all judgment and gave proof of that by raising him from the dead. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. You may have heard this verse before. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27. Everybody has an appointment with the judge. Nobody will be able to skip on that heavenly summons. As we continue to examine this passage, we're also told that there are books that will be open to be used as the basis for judgment. This is a courtroom, and a court case is based on evidence. We're told that one of those books is the Book of Life that was also open. So what is this book? Here's what we find in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. He says, quote, Book of Life, in the Book of Revelation, refers to a heavenly record with the names of persecuted Christians who remain faithful. It is used first in the letter to Sardis, chapter 3, verse 5, where the risen Lord, identified as the Lamb, is custodian of the book, Revelation 13, 8, 21, 7. If a person's name is found in the book, admittance is granted to the New Jerusalem, Revelation 20, 15, Revelation 21, 27. If one's name is not written there, the judgment is final destruction. Absolute confidence in God's care for his own is affirmed by the words written before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, verse 8, Revelation 17, verse 8. End quote. And again, this is from an entry titled Book of Life in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible by Walter A. Elwell and Barry J. Bitzel. That's a book of life. If your name is there because you have trusted Christ with your life, with your salvation, then you are recorded in the book of life and you're preserved from this final serious judgment from God. In his book, Escape the Coming Night, 
Dr. David Jeremiah comments on how your name gets in the book of life and how it stays in that book. He says, quote, this book is an amazing record. It will contain the name of every single person born into the world. If, by the time a person dies, he has not received God's provision of sacrifice to remove his sin, his name will be blotted out of the pages. End quote. It couldn't be any more clear. If your name is not in the book of life, the evidence against you will come from what's found in the other books, your deeds, your works, your actions. Everything that you have done in life has been recorded and will be admitted into evidence by the judge. No questions asked. Moving on to verse 13 of Revelation 20, we're told that the sea, death, and Hades all will give up the dead who are in them. Death, Hades, Sheol, they all refer to the abode of the dead. Do you remember that second resurrection that was to occur after the first 1,000 years, back in Revelation 20, verse 5? This is it. No one can escape it. In verses 14 and 15, we're also told that death and Hades are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There is no need for these places any longer because there is a new location for those who die without Christ, the lake of fire, which is the second death. In his Naked Bible podcast episode on Revelation 20, Dr. Michael Heiser references the work of Dr. Justin Bass regarding the end of death, Hades, and their final place in the lake of fire. Listen to the words of Dr. Bass. Quote, Death and Hades, reign of terror, meet their end in the book of Revelation. Not only are they forced to give back the souls of the dead by the glorified Christ and the holder of the keys, but they themselves will be thrown into the lake of fire. John says there will be no more death. And if there is no more death, there is no more need for a realm of the dead, Hades. Christ hurls death and Hades into the lake of fire, symbolizing the end of death and the realm of the dead, because the saints will live forever in the new Jerusalem. End quote. And again, that's Dr. Justin Bass in his work, The Battle for the Keys, Revelation 118, and Christ's descent into the underworld. Death and Hades gone forever. And if anyone's person's name is not found in the book of life, well, then we know the fate. He or she will be thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. That's the fate of the ungodly. Jesus clearly spoke of this final destiny for the ungodly in his kingdom parables in Matthew 13. Look at Matthew 13 beginning in verse 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same chapter, verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42 and 49 and 50. The fate of the ungodly, those who reject Jesus Christ. 
and previously in the book of Revelation, we're told about the destiny of those who reject God. Look at Revelation 14, beginning in verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receive a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. You know, sometimes the Bible can seem complicated. And a book like Revelation, with all of its symbols and images, can seem very confusing. In reality, the outcome of your eternal destiny comes down to a simple choice. Do you stand with Christ or with the devil? It's your move. In his commentary on the book of Revelation, Dr. Chuck Swindoll speaks on the choice we all have. He says, quote, Each of us has a choice. Either be enrolled in the book of life now and receive rewards at Christ's throne for our good works done in faith. Or, keep our names out of the book of life through unbelief and be judged at God's throne on the basis of our wicked deeds. End quote. You see that? It's not the bad deeds that keep your name out of the book of life. It's your failure to receive Jesus Christ by faith to pay the penalty for your sins so you can be with God forever. If you fail to make that decision for Christ now, then your judgment, the degree of punishment, will be based on your deeds. But the, what takes you into eternal judgment is your failure to receive Christ. For believers, what's your move? What's my move? Is there is one move we have. is to preach the gospel to the lost urgently while we still have time. Otherwise, only the eternal judgment awaits them. That's it. There's no other choice. In his Bible commentary, Dr. Tony Evans comments on the rationale for this final judgment. He says, quote, The judgment experienced by individuals in hell will not be identical. Rather, the judgment a person or demon receives will be in proportion to their sin. Those who receive this judgment have not necessarily committed worse sins than those who dwelt with God in paradise. They are simply reaping the fruit of their sins rather than enjoying the benefits of having Christ's perfect record credited to their accounts. The second death is another way of speaking of eternal judgment. End quote. Well, that brings us to the end of this third division from Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. What's the principle? The king's faithful servants mercifully preach the gospel to the lost. The king's faithful servants mercifully preach the gospel to the lost. But I do not consider my life or of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Acts 20, 
verses 24 and 26 and 27. As a believer today, how are you sharing the gospel so that many will have their names found in the book of life? That's our lesson for today. How can we apply what we have learned in this chapter over the last three episodes? You know, this past week I had the opportunity to watch the state funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. It was a very moving set of ceremonies as expected. Queen Elizabeth II reigned over the United Kingdom for just a little over 70 years. This past summer, she celebrated her uh, Platinum Jubilee. And as you watch uh, the proceedings of her state funeral and the reaction of the, the people of the United Kingdom, you can tell that she was beloved by the nation and also by many around the world and highly respected, me included. I, I really came to, to appreciate the queen and who she was and uh, what she accomplished in her life and in a very difficult set of circumstances over a long period of time. And as I watch uh, the state funeral this past week, two things stood out to me. First, she was lauded for her unwavering commitment to fulfilling her duty as monarch. Even in an age where many people question, do we need a monarchy? Do, is it real, still relevant? Is it just a, just a title? Uh, she made a commitment as a young woman to her assignment. And even though it came to her unexpectedly as a young woman, she was just about 25 when her dad, King George VI, passed away. But she took on the commitment, she accepted it, and in her devotion to the nation and to her role, she left an example for all of us to follow in what we commit ourselves to. The second thing that stood to me was that the services were full of hope, Christian hope. Queen Elizabeth was a Christian, and in her later years, she became even more outspoken about her faith and what it meant to her. And as all uh, United Kingdom uh, monarchs do, she had uh, the responsibility very heavily involved in the planning of her own funeral. And what it stood out to me that she made sure that it would be clear that she had the hope of resurrection and eternal life with her Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about the lessons of Revelation 20, could we emulate the Queen? Could we as believers commit without wavering to follow our Lord Jesus Christ? Could we as believers share openly and frequently about our hope of eternal life? Let's remember that we are living in the already and not yet kingdom of God. So I want you to remember four points as we close today. First, because Christ lives, we live with him. We are alive now and we will live with him forever. Number two, because Christ reigns, we reign with him now and forever. We are part of that kingdom. We're entrusted with advancing the kingdom and we will reign one day with him forever. Third, because Christ is victorious, Satan has been defeated now and forever. He was defeated at the cross. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And one day, Satan will be 
ultimately defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. But because Christ is victorious, we can also be victorious. Finally, because Christ is the king and judge, sinners have only one hope of salvation. It's him. There is no other name given under heaven in which we can be saved. Only Christ. He is the truth, the way, and the life. There is no salvation apart from Christ. So, can we live with that hope? We will live with him forever. We will reign with him forever. We have victory in him forever. And sinners have only one hope of salvation. They can accept him today as Lord and Savior and King or face him as a judge. I want to close with a passage from our friend Daniel in chapter 7 about the expectation that we as the Holy Ones of God will reign with him. Is Daniel chapter 7 verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the empires will serve and obey him. Daniel 7 verse 27. That concludes our teaching from Revelation 20. Thank you for being here today. In our next episode, we will turn our attention to Revelation chapter 21, and we will transition our study towards the eternal state where God will make all things new. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for Aina Proof Workman, where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly bless you.